God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Are facing budget cuts, a shortage of teachers, and smaller staffs with the first day just weeks ago. Budget cuts have schools making big changes. At one school, it means moving and working with fewer people to do it all. But this Sunday, was one group made it their mission to help. Chelsea's Amy Jensen joins us live from Mayo Demonstration School with details. Amy? Hey, Kim, we're actually at Audacity.Church, which is just right across the street from Mayo. Now, on the fifth of Sunday of a month, Audacity.Church closes their doors to help other people in need. Today, they helped our teachers. Off during the holidays and summer break seems like a pretty good gig for teachers, but that break is much shorter than many think. It's not like you just um, pack up and don't think about it for three months. After recent budget cuts, Mayo Demonstration Academy lost a fourth and a fifth grade teacher. Class sizes grew and changes to classrooms had to be made. I look forward to the day that those allocations can be restored. I didn't. I knew it wasn't going to happen this year because the budget, situ- you know, the budget situation has not improved. The legislature hasn't done anything to help. So we're still in, stuck in the same situation that we were. Those cuts mean less people to go around to get everything ready for the new school year. Maintenance uh, facilities have been, you know, those are hardworking people, but they have been, you know, stripped to the bare bones. Which is why Audacity.Church stepped in. We just really wanted to adopt a school, love on a school, and uh, just show them that a church across the street cares. The church spent the morning moving furniture, painting hanging things up, and whatever else they could do to make Um, the situation a little better for the teachers. I think uh, teachers uh, carry a lot of weight. Um, I think that they're probably undervalued, and uh, they need as much help as they possibly can get. And I think if we can step in, be the hands and feet of Jesus. And the small act of kindness was greatly appreciated. It's been overwhelming. I mean, it's really, like in a good way, overwhelming to see that many people come in at one time and just be ready to help. It was really amazing. The principal at Mayo says if you want to help volunteer to get the school in order, you can call the volunteer number. We have that number listed on our K2L website. Live in Midtown, Amy Jensen, Tulsa's Channel 8. Well, that's you guys. <laughs> um, they can't plan that. That's the weirdest thing. Basically, Amy saw our post, and, and she'd heard about Fifth Sunday and decided to come and hang out with us for the day, and uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. And I'm glad she told uh, Mayo's story, because that was one of the things I asked her to do. I said, hey, we, we appreciate you coming and wanting to talk about a church that's just being the church. I said, but if, make sure that we highlight Principal Jocelyn and uh, everything that the Mayo is going through. If you're a guest today, my name is Ronnie, and I am the lead pastor here, and I am so glad that you're here this morning. Thanks for uh, taking some time out of your weekend, hanging out with us, and uh, being a part of our community. Uh, Audacity does serve our city. Every month we serve a homeless outreach, uh, we serve a food pantry, and then anytime there's five Sundays in a month like there was last week, we close our doors and we find a way to express the love of Jesus to our city, and we do that unapologetically, because we believe that's what the church is supposed to do and be. Um, we're in a series called The Gospel of John. Every Sunday, Audacity, we, we look at a book of the Bible together, and we try to go through it the best we can, not quite verse by verse, but as best we can. And my, my goal, my challenge, um, my request, is that then you go home sometime this week, and maybe you read through that portion of the text one or two times, 
and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you so that you can learn what it is that God wants to tell you. So we're in John chapter 14 this morning. Now, I think I need to set some context uh, because of what Jesus is walking into the next few chapters. Jesus knows this is his last Passover. He's been doing ministry for around three years, and he knows that his time is near. He knows that because of Daniel chapter 9, but he also knows that because he is in tune with the Father. Now, verses and chapters were added to your Bible a few hundred years ago. So before that, this just flowed in one text. So I think of what happens at the end of John chapter 13. Jesus has told those that have been following him for the last few years that he's about to go somewhere that others can't go. And it causes some confusion. There's questions. They're probably looking around the table like, we've given up everything to follow you. We've been following you for three years, and now you're going to go somewhere that, that we can't go. And then Jesus looks at what most people would identify as the leader of the group. And he looks at him and says, you're about to blow it. You're going to fail me before the sun rises today. There's a lot of times I've found myself in circumstances where I have chosen to fail. I knew what I was doing. I, I shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have said. I, I shouldn't have reacted in that way. But imagine the torment of Peter. One of the gospel accounts says that in this evening... When Jesus is taken away, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off a guy's ear. I think this is Peter's way of saying, Jesus, you said I wasn't going to follow. You said I was going to fail. I'm here to fight. I'm not going to fail. So the disciples are sitting around this room. Jesus, also very aware of his time. He knows that this is his last night. And he starts this conversation with his followers that leads into a prayer and then takes him to the cross. (laughs) Here's what I find fascinating. When Jesus had every reason to be comforted most, he was comforting others. Friend, you want to be like Jesus? And you're in turmoil, when you're confused, when you're in need, when you need to be comforted, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, your response is to comfort. It's not easy. But Jesus never says that following Him was going to be easy. So what do we do when we fail? What do we do when we we know we've made a mistake? Or, in this case, you're about to. We believe in God. John chapter 14. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, if it were not also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. 
want you to see what Jesus just did. It's something that is so hard for me to do. Jesus just took the conversation from the temporal, from right down, and made it about the eternal. Jesus is saying, listen, you're going to fail. You're going to feel alone. You're going to be afraid. Peter, you're about to blow it. And guess what? We're going to put it in a book and millions of people are going to know about it. Yay, Peter. He says, but let not your heart be troubled. Some of you in this room today would say, well, my heart's been in torment. My heart has been in trouble. I can't even forgive myself. I can't experience grace the way that I want to. My heart is troubled. Do you know that Jesus right now knows that that's going to be your response? And so in the English, we miss this, but this is what he says. I command you to you not let your heart be troubled, but believe in God. Man. Ain't easy. Jesus says this, that I'm going to come for you. He starts to speak about eternity in heaven, and maybe this is going to weird you out a little bit, but we'll, we'll just touch on it briefly. Let me explain this to you, or let me at least say this to you. Jesus never promises a life without trouble. He does promise an untroubled heart. I can't even sleep. I know. And so does he. And he commands you to not be troubled. But Peter's about to blow it. He's going to cuss. He's going to deny Jesus. He's going to pretend before morning. He's going to pretend like he doesn't even know God. And Jesus looks at Peter and the followers that are in this room, there's about a dozen of them sharing a meal with him. And he says, listen, we're about to walk into a season that you're going to have a lot of questions. Something's about to happen that I have told you, but you just haven't heard me. And when this happens, let not your heart be troubled. I think this is where so many Christians sabotage their lives. They do not have the faith the patience or the trust in Jesus. Faith through troubled waters. They don't have the faith, the patience to believe in Jesus. Not religion, not the church, not even this pastor. Believe in the works, love, compassion, grace, mercy of Jesus. Show me a story outside of religious zealots where Jesus is harsh. Religious zealots are very easy at walking away when things get hard. It's easiest to not work through a troubled heart, to work through a compromising situation. It's not easy, but Jesus commands you, let your heart not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. Do you know that you can get just about through anything if you would just believe in Jesus? In God's economy... It's about faith, belief. It says, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus then turns the conversation to um, something that's peculiar, something there's a lot of confusion about in the church, and some people misrepresent this very poorly. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak directly to you. Here's what Jesus is saying. Earth is not your home. 
I'm just a pilgrim passing through. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If you want to study this out a little bit more, maybe like, hey, Ronnie, I really would love if you would just land the plane here and spend some time. Maybe another day. But if you want to study it for yourself, write these two verses down, or chapters, excuse me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 explains a lot about the context of what you might have heard in church culture called the rapture. That that word is not in the Bible. Also, you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The word rapture actually comes from the Latin translation of the Greek, not to bore you here. And they translated the word harpazo in the Greek, which means a great snatching, to the word rapturo, which we have then called this thing when Jesus comes as the rapture. Jesus says, this place is not your home. This is not your final destination. See, when we focus more on the earthly than we do eternity, we will not make wise choices. He says, I will come again for you. See, um, Jesus is preparing a place for you. Like, well, really? What, what do you mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. I mean love prepares a welcome. Some of you in here, you can remember when your first child was going to be born. My daughter is 19, so it's been a while. But I remember painting the nursery. We didn't use lead paint. Um, I remember trying to find a crib. I I remember uh, buying clothes in the right size. Some of you moms know that these guys are weird and you go into this super duper nesting mode that just freaks your husbands out. Maybe that's not the context of your story. Maybe you have prepared the arrival of a pet, right? You went and bought the collar, the water bottle. You went and made sure there's no fences or holes in the fence. Maybe for you it was preparing for a, a new job or the arrival of a loved one into the city. But you can put this in the context of that what love does is it prepares a welcome. And Jesus' love for you has been preparing this dwelling place for you. He shifts your failure for your future. He shifts your failure to your future. He says that mistake, that thing, that fill in the blank doesn't define you. What defines you is my love for you and I've gone to prepare a place for you and love has a name and His name is Jesus and He is ready to welcome you. Man, Peter's freaking out. And Jesus says, no, I love you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. The disciples are like, what's going on? Jesus, you're talking about leaving. And Jesus shifts the context of the story to eternity. John chapter 14, in verse 5, Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going or how we can know the way. 
And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me except through the Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, not, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus shifts this conversation to his love, his connection, and who he is. So many people give Thomas grief because of his doubt. <laughs> I love the skepticism in Thomas because then skeptics and people who are wrestling with doubt always ask good questions. So I want to thank Thomas because he says, God, Jesus, we've been told that this way was through religion. We've been told that this way was by following these rules and doing these things and then this was the list of things that we're not to do. And if somehow we would place that religious burden upon ourselves, that was the way to God. And Jesus says, no, I'm about to establish a new covenant. I'm about to wreck things. And now there is a new way. I am the way and the truth and the life. You know how easy it is for religious people to fall right back into the mindset of religion. Because they've never allowed themselves to be transformed recklessly by grace. And when you do not allow yourself to be transformed by grace, Jesus' grace, the only way that I can define it, is reckless, scandalous, and unexplainable. I don't understand it. I, I, when I'm, I'm just being honest. When I look, I'm like, what? You, you love me? You, love, you, you know that I can't even drive on the highway without wanting to like send people to hell. Like, God, if you just want to blow their tires so I can get by them because they are in the fast lane. You guys never done that? I, I can't even, I, I beat myself up for conversations I had with my teenagers two months ago when I was harsher than I should have been. I still carry that weight. And there's a long list of things that I don't even want to talk about for this platform. Where I can't even let myself be forgiven. And it's because religious and not my frame, my view of Jesus is religious and not love. Jesus says, I'm the way. What do you mean, Jesus? In all the compassion you've seen, all the grace you've seen, all the forgiveness you've seen. And then the church, we come in and for a few hundred years, we flip an entire globe upside down. A few hundred followers, maybe a few thousand followers if you want to count the day of Pentecost from the day of Pentecost to 300 A.D. This is long before Constantine. Don't believe what you read on memes. Facebook is not always right, okay? This is pre-Constantine. In 300 years, a small band of 11 people end up revolutionizing the entire globe. And 70% of Rome becomes Christian. No political influence, only persecution. No resources, just a bunch of people that lost their jobs and their families. And somehow this small group of people, revolutionized by the love of Jesus, flip the known world upside down. It wasn't with buildings, programs, 
or religious do's and don'ts. It was simply love God, love people. Jesus says that He is the way. Friends, I'm going to just go ahead and tell you this. When you and I choose to live like there is another way, what we have done is we've misplaced our loyalty. So we try to pretend like there's another way. You know whose way that usually is? Yours. Now we could sit here and talk a lot about other paths, other ways, and we could talk about you know, some of the philosophies that are in our world, but most one, the, the one that is most imperative to the people that are in my circle, the people that I share life with, is when we think there's another way, what we've done is we've misplaced our loyalty. We have chose to trust ourselves rather than Jesus. I'll tell you what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon, for those of you who don't know, a pretty smart dude, wrote a lot about the Bible. That's all you need to know. He's been dead a long time. Thus we notice... How they, speaking of the disciples, speak to him with a natural, easy familiarity. And he talks to them in full sympathy with their weaknesses, teaching them little by little as they are able to learn. They ask just such questions as a boy might ask to his father. Often they show their ignorance, but never do they seem timid in his presence or ashamed to let know how shallow and hard of understanding they are. Jesus is the way. He's fulfilling this new covenant. He's creating direct access through His sacrifice of the cross to God. There's been this exclusivity between God and man. and He's only spoken to a hand full of people. There's been this barrier of God's presence as men have tried to appease God with their offerings and their sacrifices. And then there has been even further hindrance when there's only been this one single access point as the person who accesses God known as the high priest. And Jesus comes in and says, I'm clearing the way. I am the way. There's no other way. Jesus says, I am the way. See, when we leave room as though there's another way, we make God a liar. What do you mean? I mean, Jesus, last night on earth, He goes and He prays. He's intimately acquainted with the Father. Some people believe he's known that his whole life. Some people believe it happened when he was 13 at the temple. I'll let people that have time to debate minuscule items do that. Jesus knows he is one with the Father. He knows everything he does, every word he speaks is of the Father. And if anybody ever who is clothed in the skin of a man had the ability to ask God for something, a sinless person, should have been able to ask God for anything. And if there was another way, God would have provided. Jesus knows He's about to be tortured. He's about to be imprisoned by a bunch of liars. He knows He's about to be beaten beyond recognition as a man. He knows that He is about to lay lifeless in a tomb after experiencing the cross. And He prays this. Father, if there is any other 
way. Father, if you could take this cup from me, if there's any other way, please do it. But not my will. Your will. This is where so many Christians get in trouble. They decide to live their way. This is what one other theologian named Barclay would say about that. I promise you I wrote it down. The test of any prayer is, can I make it in the name of Jesus? No man, for instance, could pray for personal revenge, personal ambition, or some unworthy, unchristian object in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way. The only way to the Father. And then he knows that what's about to happen, and he wants to impart this this call to his followers, and so he gives us, you and I, the most peculiar challenge, maybe in all of the text, and he says this, you can be greater than Jesus. Now before you leave, let me read this to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Whoever asks in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. See, Jesus believes that those who believe in Him are going to carry out His work. That's what Jesus believes. He expects those who believe in Him to continue the work. Well, what does that mean, whatever we ask in Jesus' name? I have seen this so twisted by people that think that Jesus is some genie in the bottle to grant their selfish desires, their wishful thinking, And then they say, I can take claim to it because of Jesus? Jesus' name is not some magic word, some superstition. It's a a connection. When you and I are intimately acquainted in intimacy and faith, with unity of vision and mission, then we can make our requests known. But so often, We say that God doesn't answer our prayer. And God's like, no, that was a selfish request. That wasn't a prayer. So many times, and and listen, gang, I know that there's times where you, you can't hear God clearly. And maybe it seems foggy for you. What are you asking Him and why are you asking Him? Are you asking God to remove something that might be the most crucial thing for your growth? Are you asking God to make something easier that maybe He will receive all the glory from? We start praying our own way, our own will, and we're not in God's presence. We are not intimately acquainted with Jesus. When we are like, how how do we think that we have the freedom to make decisions in those moments? If I, I mean, I'm just asking you. Is, is your request out of love for him in his church, or is it a selfish, childish desire? 
I, I, I get scared to death whenever I, I talk to people who tell me, hey, you know what, I really need to work on my relationship with Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm really struggling in my faith. And then they make huge life-changing decisions. It freaks me out. Because I'm like, Who's, who, how are you being guided? When I, when I ask God for something, anything, is it so that I can bring glory to myself? When you ask God for something, is it to ease your discomfort? And it's because we have an, a very mortal, small-minded, earthly view, and we're not thinking about eternity. Jesus believes that because you believe in Him, you're going to carry out His works. That's, that's what your call is. Your call is to grow His church. Your call is when you pray to ask God for wisdom. Jesus didn't expect His mission to die when He died. He expected His mission to be carried out to greater extent. He expected us as the church to see and do greater things in ministry and in life and in biblical community than the disciples ever witnessed. And we walk around like, well, I don't know how we're going to pull that off. I don't know if I could really, you know, I mean, I don't know anybody that really I should share my story with who needs Jesus. When we have fear or when we fail, we believe in Jesus. We don't believe or put our faith in the religious establishment known as the church. When we fail or when we have fear, we just believe in Jesus. And people can see that as you live that out in your life. When we doubt and we're skeptical, which I think is okay. I mean, it's recorded more than one time. We, we believe that Jesus is the way. I'm just going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep pressing in. Keep trusting. When we carry out the works of Jesus, it can only be done one way. The only way we can do greater things than these things that the apostles saw. The only way we're going to have greater impact in our community, in our globe, is if we believe the promise of the Holy Spirit. So this is the how. And and I'm, I'm closing here. It says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Forever. Ever, ever. You mean the Holy Spirit's with me in the midst of my failure? Yep. You mean the Holy Spirit's with me even whenever I don't feel Him? Yep. You mean the Holy Spirit is with me when I'm making these tough choices? Yep. He says, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send in My name. He will teach you all things and bring them to remembrance all that I have told you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Holy Spirit is the Helper. 
described in, in the language, that it, it, the word for in, in the Greek. It's, he's legal counsel. He is the uh, defender, the intercessor. And Jesus says, I, I know that you're afraid. I know that you're going to make a mistake, but I need you to keep your eyes focused on heaven. Know that this temporal is in no comparison to the eternal. And he says, I am the way. Quit trying to make your own path. Quit trying to believe that, that, that the law is somehow going to rescue and save you. Believe that I am the way. And then he says, he's looking around the room, he knows that his life on this earth is almost, his time is coming to a close. It's almost up. And he challenges those who are committed, those who would choose to follow him and say, hey, you're going to do greater works than these. The church somehow goes limping through culture like we don't have power or strength, like we can't make an impact, like we can't reach our neighbor, like we can't impact our community. And it's because I believe that the church across our globe is trying to do life without the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, when He takes control, it's uncomfortable and it's awkward. And we're not going to handle snakes. There are no tambourines allowed unless you're on the stage. And we don't do flags, okay? And there's no running, by the way. When the Holy Spirit comes in and, 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 and lives on the inside of you. Doubt and fear are removed. And then when you're going through a circumstance that you just can't explain that maybe bothers you, rightfully so, you say, I, I just believe. Jesus' time is up and He wants His followers to know, don't be afraid for our text today, and I know it's a chapter and I know it's got numbers and verses, but did you see how Jesus is telling us the story today? Let not your heart be troubled. And it's a bookend today. It says this, My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but as I give. Part of our problems as followers of Jesus is we think that finances are going to give us peace. No money, no problems. Heard that somewhere once. Somehow we think that the perfect marriage is going to give us everything we want. And I love intense moments of fellowship with my wife every quarter, mainly because I like making up. But then also, I usually learn something about myself. Or I learn something that she needs from me. And so in that frustration... In the midst of that conflict, both of us become better. Imagine that. We think that the picture-perfect kids are somehow going to show that we're not as dysfunctional as our parents are. And we put so much weight upon ourselves that Jesus never intended for you to carry when you blow it, when you're confused, when it doesn't make sense, believe in me. And when you submit your life 
to the power of the Holy Spirit. I will place my peace upon you, no matter the circumstance, no matter the pain, no matter the frustration, no matter the unanswered questions, no matter what it is, guess what? I'm giving you my peace. Man, have you received that today? Will you just receive peace? He opens this chapter with a command. And he closes this chapter with a promise. Believe in Jesus. And then you'll have peace that passes an understanding. Can we pray? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.